Thank you for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for our seven I Am Statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. You're free to join us in person any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Village on Casino Road. Also feel free to check us out at our website, southeverett.org. Enjoy today's podcast. This morning as I was praying before I came here, uh, I just really felt the Lord put on my heart that he wanted to heal trauma. I saw a picture of Jesus touching people's heads. And um, it's kind of cool because we're outside and it's a sunny day shining down on people. And I think it's a somewhat of a unique opportunity um, because, I don't know, it's just a different feel than sitting inside of a building. And uh, I think it's the right setting is my point. And Trauma is not one of those things that we often think about, Um, and yet I think most of us have gone through some element of trauma in our lives. It's something that happened to us years before that really caused inner problem, and yet we just keep on living. And um, we don't need to understand everything. I just believe there's an invitation from God this morning uh, for us to all just lay a hand on our heads And I want you to just imagine that Jesus is touching your head with his hand. And I'm just going to let Chris just play and, and sing a little bit. And I want you to just enjoy the sunshine and just relax. And just imagine that you are seated next to Jesus in those heavenly places. And he is a God who restores But we just want to, right now, participate with what I believe Jesus showed me and just focus on Jesus and just receive the restoration that he wants to do for our minds. He takes us from glory to glory. And uh, so we just invite you right now, Holy Spirit, come and just touch our minds, Lord. Blow over this place. Draw us near into your presence. We want the mind of Jesus. Thank you. You are good, Lord. We're just going to enjoy you in this time and let you work on us. Thank you, Chris, for leading us. Thank you, Jay, for leading us in that time and for both of you being open and obedient to the promptings that the Lord gives you as you minister to this church. Uh, With that in mind, I want to just look briefly at Romans chapter 12. This is what the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, With permission from my brother Eric, uh, he has let me know that I can share this story. He started texting me about four or five weeks ago, and his text to me on Saturday evenings simply said, pray that I make it on Sunday morning. 
And I realized that it was more than a transportation issue or an alarm clock issue. There was something going on in Eric's mind that made him feel like he didn't belong as a part of this family. But courageously reaching out and texting, pray that I make it, pray that I make it. The Lord does a work in renewing our minds to help us understand that in his strength, we can do all things, including coming to a community which the enemy will lie to us about and say, you don't belong here. Does anyone ever feel that way, that you show up somewhere and you simply feel like you don't belong? That is a lie from the enemy. And so this week, Eric did some work around some of those trauma pieces. And guess what? It takes some work. It takes some work sometimes to get that, our mind to think differently. So I said, Eric, I want you to write down the five lies that you're believing. And then I want you to write down five things that are true that combat those lies. And so Eric did that this week. And by God's grace, Eric is here with us this morning. Can we thank the Lord for that? I am the resurrection and the life. That is the fifth of seven I am statements, but it, it is attached to the seventh I do miracle. If you remember in the series, we're talking about the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said because it mattered to both of his audiences. If you remember, Jesus was speaking to the Greeks and they cared a lot about what people said. He was also speaking to the Jews and they cared a lot about what Jesus did. So the Jews said, show me, and the Greeks said, tell me. And so in the Gospel of John, we see John talking about what Jesus said and what he did because it mattered to different groups of people that he was reaching. So I want you to think for a minute, is it more important for you to hear the words of Jesus and hear his promises or see his promises? Which matters more to you because God designs us each differently? But what resonates more with you if you hear the words, if you hear the promise, or if you see someone lead by example? The Gospel of John helps us understand the full nature of God as our good shepherd when we lean into his words and his actions. So that's what we're called to lean into, and that's what he delivers on. And so today, as we move towards this statement, it is the fifth of seven statements about I am, the resurrection and the life, attached to Jesus' seventh miracle. So remember the miracles. He turned water into wine. He healed the official's son. He healed the lame man. He fed 5,000. He walked on the water and he healed the blind man as well. But this last miracle that we see from Jesus is a game changer because it overwhelms the expectations of everyone who was following Jesus up until that point. He did some cool things. He helped some people that were almost dead not die. He turned water into wine. He walked on the water. He defied physics. He was doing all sorts of things and he was gathering a crowd. But this last miracle was designed to increase the followers of Jesus' understanding of what he could do. That he could do things that were impossible, and then he could do things that were really, really impossible. So I want us to turn to John chapter 11, as we look at the story of the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. We're going to read just verse 1, and this you can look and you can follow along on your, on your page here on the backside of your worship lyrics. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. I want you to imagine real quick. This is the first question here under John 1, 11, 1. What situation, relationship, or person in your life 
is most on life support right now. That you could say, not Lazarus is sick, but a family member is sick. Or you have a relationship that is sick. Or you have a situation that is sick. Just stop right now and insert whatever is plaguing your heart the most about something that is sick and on life support in your life. Verse 2, it says, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was lay, uh, lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God may be glorified, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. We're going to come back to that. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. A couple things interesting about this portion of the passage. Word of Lazarus's sickness reached Jesus. Jesus wasn't there, but Mary and Martha and those around them wanted to be sure that Jesus knew because Jesus had a reputation for healing. Think about the relational context that you have. The place where you are a missionary in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your friends and your family. If something is going wrong in their life, do you have a reputation as someone who is reached out to because they know that you pray to a faithful and loving God? Do people reach out to you when they're going through a crisis? That sometimes is the brightest light that we have the opportunity to shine is just to be with people when they're sick and when they're in trouble. Jesus had that reputation and Mary and Martha knew it and they wanted to make sure that word of Lazarus's sickness reached Jesus. When Jesus heard about the sickness, he made a promise about this sickness. What did he say? He said that this sickness will not end in death. And he revealed the purpose of the sickness. If you ever want to know about your pain, because we all have pain, we all have hard things that we go through. What if we knew that every painful thing we went through when stewarded well was for God's glory? That's why we go through temporary pain, whatever it is that each one of us are dealing with right now. What if it was, if we were obedient in that, as we are obedient in that, he heals us and he uses our pain for his glory that others might see him through us. It's interesting he revealed this, he made this promise, but Mary and Martha didn't know it because he said it two miles away. This is really interesting. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, is that your response when someone reaches out to you in pain? Because I love you so much, I'm actually not going to attend to your need right now. Think about that. That is just a backwards way of thinking. It doesn't match my understanding. And if you look here under John 11, 2 through 7, how would you fill in the sentence in your own understanding? If Jesus had really loved them, he would have fill in the blank. Talk to your neighbor for a minute and just fill in the blank. According to your understanding, Jesus loves some people. They desperately need his presence. And he says, because I love them so much, I am not even going to go to them. Does that what would you do in your own understanding? If Jesus had loved them according to your understanding, what would he have done immediately? Been there right away. He would have been there right away. We would have think he would have come right away. He would have put everything down. He would have done it like he did before. If Jesus really knew what he was doing, he'd do it exactly according to my understanding. That was Peter's problem and it's mine as well. Because I work not according to his understanding. The Lord wants to renew my mind. 
transform me through the renewing of my mind to think like him and not myself. So the second fill in the blank that you see right here, if they hadn't had to wait, then they wouldn't have had to fill in the blank. If Mary and Martha hadn't had to wait for Jesus all these days to not show up in the midst of their crisis, then they wouldn't have had to what? They wouldn't have to suffer. If Jesus had just shown up immediately when I needed him or thought I needed him, I wouldn't have had to suffer. What else? Worry. Worry. I wouldn't have to worry or suffer or what else? Doubt. Doubt. I wouldn't have to doubt, worry, suffer. It would have been so much easier if we just microwaved this whole situation and not waited. What else? One more thing. Grief. Oh, wouldn't it be best if we didn't have to grieve? No. But everything in this world points us to all sorts of things that we can do besides really grieve what we're going through. And this is a return. Jesus is saying, I want you to return to me. Because if they hadn't had to wait, they wouldn't have had to worry. But right, then they wouldn't have had to grieve. They wouldn't have had to trust. They wouldn't have to depend. As if grief, trust, and dependence were somehow horrible things. Think about this. The world wants to tell us that all of those things are worth avoiding at all costs. Fill your life with sound and noise and activity. Never be still, never be silent, just keep pressing ahead because you don't wanna have to grieve, you don't wanna have to trust, and you heavens don't wanna have to be dependent on anybody because we are best when we are independent, aren't we? It's It's the message the world gives us though. And the Lord says, I want you to die to all of those things. Grief, trust, and dependence, right on your sheet here. Put to death everything that keeps us away from Jesus. When we have to grieve, when I grieve with God, which means I come into his presence and pour out my heart with him, I get closer to Jesus when I do that. When I have to put my trust in God, I get closer to Jesus. When I have to depend on God, I get closer to Jesus. Because when I'm trusting in him, I was thinking about this driving up here today. When I put my trust in him, what is the evidence of that? How would you actually know it was happening in your daily life? When we trust in God, our dependence is on God, which means we posture ourselves in a position of waiting for him to deliver when he says he will. And that makes me feel really dependent on him. And that really hurts my pride because I can't do it on my own, but I want to. When Jesus says, I want you to wait, I want you to wait. So we grieve with God. We trust in God. We depend on God. Think about that circumstance. Whatever's dying in your life, whatever you put in that space, Lazarus, if it's a relationship, if it's an actual sickness, if it's a circumstance, How can you, how can we grieve with God that thing that is difficult in our lives right now? How can we trust in him that he will lead us through it? How can we depend on him to see the blessing and the promise that this sickness won't end in death? How do we see that come to pass? Think about it. This is a workshop this morning. Whatever that thing is, how are you trusting God with it? How are you grieving with God in it? How are you depending on him for what he wants to bring? Just stop and think about that for a minute. Take whatever that thing is and put it before the Lord and talk to him for just a second about grieving, trusting, and depending on him for it. Just do that with Jesus in this very moment. What we're learning here is that waiting is an essential part of grieving, trusting, and depending. That waiting part. And so we continue on with this story. For time's sake, we're going to pick it up 
in John 11, verse 17. On his arrival in Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Implication, where was the one who could heal them? Everyone else showed up, Jesus. Everyone else got there. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. It's a little bit curious that based on Jesus' track record of doing things, Lazarus wasn't healed in the same way that everybody else was. He wasn't healed like everybody else was. Well, Mary was pretty close to Jesus. If you go back and recall the stories of the Gospels, she was set free from demonic depression and oppression and possession. She was set free. She sat at the feet of her Savior when Martha was running around doing things. And Jesus said about Mary, she has chosen the greater thing. She would go on to prepare him uh, for burial by pouring perfume on his body and washing it, wiping it with her hair. She was more loyal to Jesus at the point of his death, his crucifixion, than any of the 12 disciples. Mary was a disciple of Jesus. Women are equal to men in the proclamation of the gospel. That is core tenant faith of the four square gospel. And we know that culturally as well because the only people that would sit at the feet of the rabbi were rabbis in training. People who were equipped to proclaim the good news of God would sit at the feet of a rabbi. And we see Mary Magdalene sitting at the feet of her savior as if the Lord considered her to be a disciple worthy of preaching the hope of Jesus. That's not something that everyone in Christendom agrees on. It's not something that splits us between heaven or hell, but it is a core tenet. We believe women can preach the gospel. This whole movement was started by a woman named Amos Simple McPherson 100 years ago preaching the gospel. The power of grief, the power of trust, the power of dependence. But in that moment, it's okay to be human. She didn't want to see him. She stayed home. You ever feel that way? Someone disappoints you, they show up. Hey, so-and-so's here. So what? Can you imagine the human anguish in this moment between Mary and Jesus and Lazarus? Four days in the tomb? Verse 21, Lord Martha said to Jesus, <laughs> bargaining is part of the grieving process. If you had been here earlier, my brother would not be dead. This is an intense moment. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know, I know, I know. I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. I know, Jesus, thanks for the pat on the back. Thanks for the comfort. I know he will rise. And then Jesus says to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe it? Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Verse 28. After she said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Jesus pursues us relentlessly in our grief, even when we're upset with him. Anyone been upset with God before? And we're upset with God right now. Totally okay. Guess what? Jesus is still pursuing us in our frustration with him. He's still calling for us by name. 
when Mary, this is verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Verse 31, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, the same thing his sister, her sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Still, that process of renewing her mind to understand that God th does things differently was still in process. It was a process. When Jesus saw her weeping, he and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved. This word in the Greek, deeply moved, like literally equates to some sort of like deep out loud groaning. Jesus met her in her grief and didn't just comfort her. He grieved because guess what? Lazarus was his friend also. They were grieving together. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 35, shortest verse in the entire scriptures. Jesus wept. Fully human, fully God, fully able to empathize with us in everything that we go through. What are you grieving? What is dying? Where is Jesus inviting each of us to spend time grieving, spend time trusting, spend time, some time depending? Verse 36, then the Jews says, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? See, they're still skeptical. And so Jesus goes on in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time it is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Again, human understanding. We would have done this differently, Jesus. And he says, I know, that's why I'm doing it this way. Because your mind needs to be renewed. The trauma you've experienced needs to be overcome. And Jesus is the one who lays his hand on us and sets us free from the lies and invites us back into truth. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So in faith, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Just a couple things here. Jesus is patient with us as we learn to transfer the title of our lives from our name to his name. You ever transferred the title of a car or anything like that before? There's a process that you go through by saying, I'm relinquishing this. It's no longer mine. It's yours. It's a process. And Jesus is patient with us in that process. As we learn to say, my life does not belong to me. I'm going to die to myself so that my life might be yours. He's patient with us like he was patient with Mary and Martha. They didn't fully understand what was happening, but he was patient. He said, do you believe? He kept coming back to their belief. So I will ask you today, like one who isn't here today with us said, I have been to church. I have not yet been to faith. I have not yet traveled to a place of belief. We have people in our fellowship that are grappling with this. Maybe you're grappling with this. Jesus is with us. He is present and he is patient 
as we move the title of our lives from our name to his. Jesus invites each of us as we learn our new identity in him and our new purpose in him. This whole series is about identity and purpose. He invites us to step over the threshold and beyond the limits of our own understanding. What don't you understand about the thing God has called you to? He's inviting you to step over that threshold, to step over that place, and to say, I cannot do this without the strength of my fellowship. I cannot do this without the strength of my Father in heaven. What is it right now that he's calling you to? Maybe it's the thing that you're dying about. I will never accomplish this thing. I'll never get to the place where he's called me. You have to grieve it. You have to wait and trust and depend and watch what God does. A few minutes ago, I had you again place this name, Lazarus. Replace his name with whatever that trouble, whatever is in your life that is dying right now. Imagine now for a second, take that thing that is dying. Imagine that that person, that relationship or that circumstance is coming back to life. Close your eyes and imagine. Let the Holy Spirit come and show you what happens when he moves the obstacles, when he parts the sea, when he gives you a way that didn't exist. What begins to happen? What dead thing starts to come to life when you get all the negative what-ifs and lies out of the way. When you get the negative lie, like Eric shared, that said, if I show up at church, at church, like church was a place, if I show up at church, everyone is going to be mad at me because I've been gone for so long. Eric, thank you for your vulnerability in sharing that with me and allowing us to share it with the church. But what, what happens when he removes that line and just says, what if they didn't say that, Eric? What might they say? And then he started telling me about all the things that people might say about his identity and about how, uh, what a blessing and a gift he is to this church. And when he gets it out of the way, new life comes back. This is resurrected life sitting in this chair this morning because Eric has found his way back into the fold. Amen. We have the opportunity with the mind of Christ to see things not as they are, but as they could be. Not as a name it, claim it thing. Eric still had to get up. We had to text for 20 minutes this morning just so you get on the bus and get here. It takes work, but it's worth it, right? The best part of my morning, just sitting there with you this morning, just texting back and forth because I'm like, Eric's going to make it. And he doesn't know it yet. But you made it. You made it. I don't think I would have made it if I didn't reach out. That's it. It takes faith. It takes dependence. It takes trust. And trust requires action. What's the Lord calling you to do, South Everett Church? So when we grieve more intentionally with the Lord, when we trust more in God than the voice of the enemy, when we depend on him, all things come to pass. I will share with you what I shared with Mark when we were hiking with our sons the other day up in the Cascade Mountains. This is real for me too. You've heard me talking about unique as a model for coaching that exists in Atlanta for quite a while now. We've run people through Unique. It's a plan to move forward, a platform to move forward, specifically with the context of the kids who are part of City Life. We have a plan. We're moving forward. And then guess what? Sometimes the plan, according to our understanding, dies. I found about, about two months ago on a Thursday, in the same hour on the same call, that Unique, as an organization, was closing down. All this group of people, five or six people in Atlanta that were believing in what God was doing in us up here was shutting down. I won't get into all the reasons. It was healthy. It was right. It was a surrendered move. But I'm like, wait a minute. Like, Lord, that was our thing, right? Like, that was how we're going to do this. A half hour later, I found out that Minta was resigning from City Life 
because the funds have dropped out of the bottom of what previously existed. And so within a half hour, City Life and Unique were sick and dying in a grave. And I told the Lord in that moment, I will trust you. And he said, well, do not put your trust in chariots or horses. My chariot was called Unique. My horse was called City Life. But trust in the name of the Lord our God. He goes, the dream isn't done. I just need you to depend on me and not these organizations. Depend on me. I'm like, I can't see that, Jesus. I can't see any of that. He says, I'll be patient with you. And I'm going to resurrect something that's better than what you thought because I built it, not you. Right? So coaching continues. The cool thing is, if you understand anything about business, intellectual property is a thing. There was a whole bunch of intellectual property that, and belonged to Unique. They said, guess what? You can have it. Just coach it. Give us credit if you want, but you can use it, take it, run with it. You don't even need us anymore. God has you. So we can move forward with helping people understand their identity and purpose. The Lord has said, bring this little thing that's left called City Life. Bubba and Josh and a few others and invest in them and see what I do with it without all the things you thought that I needed. Help kids come up raise up and I trusted the Lord with that. You know what I got to do last week with no work on my own was, was coach 21 high school students from Kamiak and Mariner High School on Saturday and Sunday, help them understand their identity and their purpose with an organization called Leadership Launch. God is saying it will happen. The dreams that he gives this church, the dreams that he gives you individually, when it seems like every piece of it is dead, call in the Savior. He's coming in his timing, not our own. Amen? What is it for each of us? As we step into our identity and our purpose, we can trust and bank on the fact that it will not come about the way that we thought it would. The calling and the testimony are two different stories. Think about that for a minute. When you are called to something, you have a certain understanding of it. You need that to get up off the couch and start going. But at the completion of whatever, whatever it is, you look back and you're like, that is not the way that I thought it would come about. Amen? Be encouraged this morning. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He lets things die in our understanding so they can be resurrected in his with better and more eternal power. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, thank you for this time this morning. We pray as we take this next few minutes to just let what we heard resonate with us and challenge us and drive us to places of deeper grief. Sometimes we have to grieve. Lord, I confess to you, I grieve that city life is not the same as it was a year ago. It's not the same as it was three months ago. I don't know what you're doing with it. I'm sad about it. But Lord, you said that's okay because you're grieving with me. But Lord, you have called me, you've called us into a place of trust and dependence to wait on you and see you put something in our hands that's better than we could have come up with our own. Lord, we brought you loaves and fishes and you created a multitude. Do it again. Do it again, Jesus. Use this church as you have been for 27 years, to just be your representative presence on Casino Road and on 93rd Street, next to this guy building something in his backyard and dogs barking and chickens running. Lord, this is what, we just show up looking like, I think what you designed us to look like. A group of people under a tree, just gathering, preparing ourselves to go out and be who you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord, for this church we thank you for your provision, Lord. We bring you our whole lives as an offering this morning. We pray that you would bless and multiply it. 
God, we pray for those who are experiencing sickness and trauma and isolation and fear. Lord, this space, if they could confess it today, it would be gone in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Yeah.